You know, I just love Jesus because he makes sermons easy for me. All you got to do is read a verse and you go, uh, let's go read from Paul. How about it? Because Jesus is just, he's too painful, right? Oh, blessed are you who are poor. Oh, oh man, that, that just touches my heart. Oh, but you who have money, you know. Oh, well, you know, blessed are you who are sad and lonely. But all you who have friends are laughing right now. I mean, really, okay? It's, it's, it's a little bit challenging, you know, but uh, it should be fun for us to kind of begin to break these things down and uh, see where they go. How you feeling this morning? I sense a little bit of low energy, and I'm not sure if that's going to work today, okay? Like, we're supposed to be having fun with this series. If you don't have fun with this series, it's going to be really painful. So we have to kind of laugh at ourselves just a little bit, or else you won't want to finish the series out. Sound good? So we got to laugh at ourselves a little bit, all right? So this is week two. We're doing the uh, good intentions, bad theology, uh, the God-isms, right? It's these isms, these little statements, these little pithy lines that we just say all the time. And um, what's been so fun about this series is uh, it's only week two, and the last week I had so many leaders coming. <sighs> I was in the situation, and then I said, everything happens for a reason, you know? And oh my goodness, right? <laughs> so uh, it's one of those things where... We've all said them. We've all said them, okay? These little, these little isms, these little statements that we kind of throw out there, they seem harmless to us, right? But what the problem with these things are is this. These isms kind of reveal the ways that we really see God. And see, I was always told when I was younger that, that theology is not that big a deal. See, it's important for us to just to connect with God and to have a relationship with God. Theology, yeah, it matters, but it's kind of a waste. But Here's why theology, if you would, putting time and being intentional about how we understand God. It's important for this reason. What we think about God, okay, what we think about God, it dictates how we act towards God. Does that make sense? If I had a terrible father, if I was abused or beaten or if I had an absentee father, Whenever I'm sitting in a church and the pastor or the worship team is singing or talking about the Father God, there's all these people who are connecting. Oh, man, yeah, my dad. Oh, he's just like my dad. I love it. And there's people in the room who were beaten by the dads, who were raped by their dads, who had no dad, and they go, oh, he's like that. Are you seeing how this works? How we think about God. And so, and so if we have a broken understanding of, of a father, we have to fix the understanding of a father so we understand it rightly. But all these different ways of thinking, these ideas, these images in our mind, these are what tell us who God is. And how I understand who God is, it changes the way I interact with God. If I believe that God is loving, I will treat him as if he's loving. If, if I believe he wants to hear me talk, if I believe he doesn't care if I talk, if I believe he cares about my issues, I'll tell him. If I don't, I won't. If I believe he's a distant God, creator God, who's, who's you know, out in the cosmos, and he's distant and cold, and he's other than than singing songs about being friends with God or being intimate or close to God or knowing God as I do a friend, these things just skip over my head. And so the way that we think about God is crucial. The way we think about God affects the way that we act towards God. Are you getting it? And so we have to, we're going to pick on these isms a little bit, okay? So if we're going to take things that every one of us has said, and we're going to kind of, you know, 
tear it apart. And here's why. Because we need to make sure that at the root of who we really are, that we have the right image of who God is. Correct? We talked about last week with the everything happens for a reason statement and how it works really well when things are going well. Um, I had this leader come to me and said, you know, uh, you know, uh, this, my child had a great day at school and things were going well. And she asked me, hey, so like, you know, like, why'd this happen? And she said, well, it happened because everything happens for a reason. And it seemed to work there, right? But then we have moments where the statement doesn't work. And we talked about the shooting we had in Vegas. And, and then there's pastors and teachers who want to step up and say, oh, well, everything happened for a reason. Surely God was moving through this sniper to shoot these innocent people uh, because to God's glory be murder. Right? No amens and hallelujahs. No? See, it doesn't always work. But what happens is when this is ingrained in my mind, then when things happen in my life, this is how I process it. And so when something bad happens in my life, I begin to think, okay, well, if it's God who made this bad thing happen to me, if it's God who made my child sick, then what is wrong? Then if he's the one who did it, then maybe he's punishing me. Maybe I did something bad. And so I I just need to find what bad I did so that he won't punish me and my child anymore. You think that's a stretch. It's not. There were people that I was in church with at times, who when someone would get sick, the question was, we got to find the sin. This is God punishing you for being bad, so we got to find out how to fix the bad. And then I've been in churches where, well, if God's behind everything, then if you're not being healed yet, it's because maybe you haven't learned to have enough faith yet. So God's keeping you sick and, and you're dying of cancer because, you know what, you just need to learn how to trust God more. And so we're all going to sit around you and tell you the way Job heard, if you would just have faith and trust God, everything would work out. Are you seeing how these create unhealthy images of who God is? And see, as a pastor, one of the things I get to do is I get to show up in some of the darkest moments. You know, I get to be there uh, in the hospital rooms. I get to be there in those moments when all the isms and everything else begins to fall apart and people begin to be honest. And people begin to ask hard questions. Why is God killing me? And of course, in that moment, I understand this wrong understanding of God has built to a place where you believe God is killing you. And that's why we have to take the time to kind of unpack these things, to, to kind of tear these wrong ideas uh, of God down. And for us as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we believe that Jesus is the ultimate manifestation of God, meaning He is the ultimate picture of what God looks like. Um, In Colossians, it says this. In Colossians, it says that all the fullness of the deity lives in Christ's body. In, In Hebrews 1, we see that the Son is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of His being. Meaning, it's one to one. Meaning, the only thing we had to look at that looks exactly like God is... Jesus. And so the first thing we have to do with all of these different ideas is we have to make sure, do these ideas line up with a God who looks like Jesus? So, are you guys ready for the ism this morning? I know that we got destroyed last night. I know Alabama is way better than we are. I get that. I'm trying not to talk about it, but we can't let it affect us. We have to move on. Things aren't going to get better. Everything happened for a reason. See, See, Tony got married, and see, 
we wanted to give him a wedding present. So Tony and Nicole, you know, all, you know, yeah, bless you. <laughs> it's hard to be happy for him. He just gloats too big, right? Nicole's kind of like, eh, but like Tony has this huge smile. And he just, he just lets you know, I'm a Bama fan. We, we're never sad. <laughs> but the Bible says, woe to those who are happy. <laughs> Watch yourself. So what happened is, is see, like, because he got married, you know, it's like we wanted to give him a present. So everything happened because God was giving Tony a wedding present. Because we all know if the hogs wanted to win, they just... It, yeah, it falls apart at some point, doesn't it? Here we go. This morning, we are going to tackle one of my personal, like, pet peeves. I hear this a lot, okay? God helps those who... Amen, brother. God helps those who help themselves. Now, let's kind of be nice to it for a second, okay? What are the reasons that we say this, okay? Is there a good intention as to why we say this? Okay, well, let's try this. Okay, what we're actually trying to say is this. When we say God helps those who, uh, who help themselves, what we're trying to say is this. God wants us to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps, Right? Does that sound right? Like, okay. God wants you to get off the couch and get a job. How about that, right? Yeah? Okay. See, you guys are so distrusting of me nowadays, you know? Like, I'm trying to get you to say yes. to like, no, don't fall for it. It sounds good. But just don't fall for it. If you raise your hand, if you nod, he's going to get you. Okay. It sounds pretty good, right? God wants you to get off your lazy butt and change your situation. And then he will meet you in it, and he will bless you, and your life's going to be amazing. Sound good? Sounds like the gospel I've heard most of my life, right? All right. Everyone's getting nervous. Okay. Now, what are we actually saying in this? Like, what is... What's hidden inside the statement, okay? The intention is we're trying to say that we have responsibility for ourselves, right? We have to get up, and yes, God is there. Yes, God loves us. Yes, he's full of mercy, all this stuff. But we have to have responsibility for ourselves, amen? Man, you guys are so wise now. You guys have learned. I can't trick you anymore. Okay. But here's what we're really saying. Here's what we are actually saying. Here's what's hidden inside these nice words. I am a self-made man. That's not gender um, specific. A self-made man or woman. Okay. I did that. Have you, have you guys ever heard that? My four-year-old is, he's constantly trying to catch up with my six-year-old. So every time he does something, Dad, look, I did it. I did the seatbelt on my own, right? And he's like, he's like, bam. You know, like it's, he, I mean, like he gets so, I mean, he, he struts in, you know, in the car, so he's like, mm, 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 you know. Look what I did. I did that. That was me. I did it, right? I played sports a lot whenever I was younger, and like that is the mentality, right? Like you don't want to be the guy who's on the winning team. You want to be the guy who made the team a winning team right? You don't want to be the guy who passed the ball to the winning shot. You want to be the one who made the winning shot. You want to be the one who can say, I 
did that. So, in all things for us as Christians, it's not enough for us to say, okay, does this idea sound good? For us, we have to begin to examine it to Christ and to the Word of God, okay? So we have to begin to say, is this truly a Christian value? Is this, as followers of Jesus, is this how we live as followers of Jesus? God is going to help those who help themselves. Amen, hallelujah. And so for us, we have to begin to kind of track this idea down. Okay, who thinks there's a verse in the Bible that says this? Obviously, no one's falling for that, correct? All right? Who maybe two years ago thought this was in the Bible? God helps those who help themselves. One honest person in the sanctuary. Bless you, woman. One. Come on. Okay, two. Three. Three people thought it was in the Bible. Okay. Who thinks that the general idea is in the Bible? It might not be worded that way. Okay. Here we go. Okay, some honesty. All right. So we believe the concept that God helps those who help themselves. Now, where does this come from? Is this in the Bible? No, right? <laughs> but why is it famous? Where does this come from? We believe that here in the States, one of the, the people who made this famous is Benjamin Franklin. Sound like a cool cat? You guys all know, all know about Benjamin Franklin? He was, he's what we would call what? A self-made man. Gosh. If you don't like go along with me, it's not nearly as fun like when we do like the reveal. It's a magic trick. It's like you have to believe me up front or else the end's just no fun. Okay. So with Franklin, he's, uh, he's very famous for saying this. Um, <laughs> Uh, we see it pop up in a few different um, manuscripts at the same time period, but we also see it in Aesop's Fables. Have you guys ever read that before? Yeah? Some honest people. Again, it is a common theme throughout the fables. There is this, this, uh, this notion that in the people who the stories are positive stories, they're doing things that work out good for them, and all of a sudden, when they make right choices, all the environment around them conforms to help them get through. But the people who make the bad choices, they get squashed. Cool yet? Okay. Now, let me tell you this. We cannot find this in the Bible but I have found this in a sacred text. Would you like to know what sacred text I found this in? <laughs> I'm sorry, I can't hide the smirk. We're going to read from the Quran. You guys ready? Indeed, Allah will not change the conditions of a population until they change what is in themselves. God will not help a people until they help themselves. Katya. <laughs> now, <laughs> no, it's just fun. You know, I think it's fun. I'm sorry. Now, here's what this is. Beyond the Quran, okay? What this really is for us, the reason that we really embrace this, it's not because it's a Christian thing. It's not because it's a scriptural thing. It's not because it's a Jesus thing. We embrace this because it is an American thing. Uh-oh. Here's what this is. This is American capitalism that is showing itself in the one trait that we as Americans value above all things. Individualism. Being on our own. 
We don't need Britain, motherland. We don't need you. We're good on our own. We don't need the EU. We're good on our own. We don't need Mexico. We're building a wall. (laughs) We don't need anyone. We are self-sufficient. From the very first day of this country's founding, this was one of its guiding principles. We can talk about biblical principles all day long. There, there were some present. But let me tell you what. The present principle was independence. Everything that we pledge to, we sing about, we celebrate, we shoot fireworks off for is independence. Being on our own. Now, what is the central theme of, of being a Christian? Dependence. As a follower of Jesus, I am acknowledging that I have nothing, will be nothing, and ultimately will come to nothing on my own. I'm choosing to give up all of my independence. Even though my forefathers fought to to push off the King of England, I'm now going to take on the King of Heaven. Are you seeing this? This is a very... (laughs) We'll do series about this in the future. We're not ready for that yet. We're going to take on the authority of of someone else. We are no longer sovereign. When we say the United States is a sovereign nation, meaning it stands on its own. It doesn't need anyone else to support it or to tell it that it's a nation. It is. We stand alone. Johnny Cash style. When we say this, there's a part of our souls that jumps. I'm a self-made man. There's a part of us that goes, if I just make the right decisions, everything else will fall in line. And there's a part of us that goes, I love this because it puts my future in whose hands? In my hands. The reason that part of you jumps at this is the same root of all sin. I'm going to be God. I'm going to be judged. I'm going to tell you what's right in my life, not you. This cute little ism is the root of what it means to be in rebellion, in sin towards God. To push off the control, the role, and the will of God. And to say, I stand alone. Well, we're getting uncomfortable this morning, right? Now, it is okay for us to be proud of our country. It's okay for us to support, to pray. All that kind of stuff. We're not talking about that this morning. But in your life, in the way you see yourself, the way you see God, the way you see the church, this is one of the first idols that has to be toppled over in order to follow Jesus. Independence. Here in January, we're going to start table fellowship, meaning all across the area, there's going to be homes who are going to be open every week with their tables, sit down and have meals. And it's our first step towards learning what it means to be a community of believers, to be a church that leans on each other, to get past, you know, being superficial. And so with the leaders, I want to start with the leaders. And it's been beautiful watching, watching how difficult it is for us to trust each other, for us to be, to be vulnerable, to lean on each other, to need each other. Because there's one thing, there's one thing that us as American Christians are taught from 
the youngest age as we grow up, and it's that we have to be independent. We have to take care of ourselves, take care of me. I can't trust anyone else to take care of me. i got to take care of me. Because if I don't take care of me, you're not going to. But the very foundation of the church is this, is that I would follow Christ and I would deny myself daily. Seek ye first the kingdom, trusting that God would take care of me. And the way that God takes care of me on the earth is that I would, as Paul says, seek the good of those around me. Meaning in the church, I don't seek my own good. I seek your good. Trusting that you're going to return the favor. Boy, it's amazing how quiet we can get. Amen. And so this is at the root of this. This is why we love it, because this is kind of a worship song for us. This is what it means to worship the idol of being an individual. This is what it means to worship the idol of holding power. Because you know what? If you're, if to be independent means that you are powerful. Correct? We call Canada independent, but you don't really believe they are, Right? Right? Yeah, sure, stepbrother, you think you're independent. But if Russia came calling, you know who they'd be calling. They'd be calling the U.S., right? That's exactly how you feel, correct? Independence is power, and the problem is this. As Christians, we're called to hand over all power to our king. And this is the ultimate struggle for us. And so what's going on in this is there's, there's a tension between what we want and the will of God. Now, what does this idea say about God? Now, we understand how it affects us, but what does this say about God? When we say this, it's, saying, it's painting a picture of who God is. And here's what it's, it, it's saying. When we say this, it's saying that God is going to be there to take care of everyone who makes the right choices. For everyone who is able to take care of themselves, God's going to be there to bless them more and more. And it's saying that everyone who is oppressed who is sick, who is in need, everyone who's at the bottom of society, that God is going to wait until they can kind of pick themselves up. This is the kind of God that we are sharing with the world when we act and we speak this way. God takes care of those who take care of themselves. You know what? You know what? God wants you to get up and change your circumstances. Now, most of us understand that there is a role for us to partner with God. There is a place where we have to make a choice. The very notion of salvation is choosing Jesus. But you have to understand this. That is the extent. We choose to follow Jesus. That is the choice that matters in our lives. I want to show you guys something. If you guys have your Bibles, go to Luke 4, verse 16. Here's the, the verse, the passage we talk a lot with Jesus as it's the passage that he kind of he says to describe what he's on the earth to do. Okay, like what is this man here? Who does he see himself as? What does he expect God to do through him? And so he takes this messianic passage, this passage that tells people what, what God's chosen one is going to do. What is God's chosen one going to change on the earth? If you would Almost imagine it's Jesus giving his, uh, his you know, election speech. He's saying, when I'm in power, I'm going to do these things. On the Sabbath, he went to the synagogue, as he normally did, and he stood up to read. The assistant gave him the scroll from the prophet Isaiah. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me to preach good news to those in power 
Uh-oh. It's not what it said. Uh, to the poor, to proclaim release to the prisoners, because we all know that prisoners can make the right choice to get themselves out of prison. Right? A prisoner has no choice. They have no control over how long they stay in prison. Obviously, if they, like, you know, shank someone, they're going to stay there longer, right? But, they, ha- but they, they can't let themselves out. Does that make sense to you? Hear me on this. We have said this and, and spoke to people who cannot help themselves. They cannot. But we believe they can. <clears throat> to proclaim release to the prisoners. Recovery of sight to the blind. Again, if you look at all these things, I want you to notice something. He puts poor on the same line as being a prisoner and being blind, as things that are outside of their control. How foreign is that to an American? Yeah. To liberate the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolls it up and he says the most dramatic thing as he sits down, He sits down and he says, and in your presence this has been fulfilled. The Lord's servant is here, and from this point forward, the kingdom of heaven is here for those who cannot help themselves. This is what's missing from much of the gospel messages that we're hearing in churches. Hey, you're doing well, but if you would just start doing better with your choices, with how you pray, with how you believe God, He's going to bless you to do even better. The very nature of being a Christ follower is to take this message of Jesus and you take it into your own life. God is here for those who are on the bottom. God is here for those who are oppressed, for those who are poor, for those who, who lack, who don't have. That is, that is who will see this as good news. The very In the Gospels, one of the things you see is this. Everyone who has nothing to lose, meaning everyone who has nothing of value in this life, they are the first ones to accept the Gospel of Jesus. Everyone who has everything to lose, they're the last ones to accept the Gospel of Jesus. We started this morning um, with the Beatitudes. One of those lines uh, comes from the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus is he's talking about, again, he's describing the kingdom of God, meaning what God is on the earth to do. Like, what's going to happen here? What's going to change? And he goes on, and it sounds so beautiful, and he's saying, oh, for all these people who are oppressed and who don't have, God is here for them. And then we got to, like, the fun part, right? For everyone who's happy, everyone has money, everyone has family, woe to you. (laughs) Understand that when Jesus addresses those of us who have in this life, he's not telling us he's going to take it away. When he says, woe to you, he and again, he breaks this down in his, his other parables. It's going to be more difficult for you to give up. Meaning, blessed is the person who has nothing because they're going to jump at this offer. Blessed is the person who has no power and no independence. Blessed is Puerto Rico. How about that? They can't take care of themselves. They can't do it. They have no independence. They don't have the power to change their situation. 
Blessed are you. It's not going to be hard for you to give up independence and power. You will submit and take on the kingdom and the lordship of Jesus in a heartbeat. And there will be relief. Woe to you who have the power, who have independence. Woe to you who don't need anybody else. Because you have a challenge ahead of you. You're going to have to wrestle with what it means for you to fully come to the king and hand him everything you have. It's not that he's going to take away. It's that the invitation to the kingdom of God is that we bring everything to the king. We say, you are king. Everything that is mine is now yours. Everything. And so the question for us is this. Who does God help? Who is it that God helps first, if you would? And, And so if we're not supposed to say God helps those who help themselves, what are we supposed to say? And Here's what I say this. I believe that, that, that the most accurate way of saying this is, is this way. God especially helps those who cannot help themselves. You know, with my family, um, we have experience with mental illness. We have experience with people with special needs. And so for us, like these messages really kind of resonate. You're not able to go to them and say, hey, help yourself. These are the people that God is especially here to help. These are the ones who are in front of the line. That famous line of Jesus that he would, he would tag onto his parables. He'd always say, in the kingdom of heaven, the last shall be first. And the first shall be last. Everyone who's at the front of the line in this world it's going to be at the back of the line in the kingdom of heaven. Everyone who's at the bottom, everyone's at the back, everyone who's, who's not heard, who's not missed, who's not, who's not cared for in the kingdom of heaven, you have the eyes and heart and attention of God. You're at the front of the line. And so for us, we have to get our isms right. Because see, what happens is this. When I believe, when I begin to allow myself to believe, if we just make the right choices, we just do the right things, God's going to bless us. And so everyone who's not being blessed surely is doing the wrong things. It's going to begin to, this statement frees me up from having to be a Christian in almost every difficult environment in my life. When I walk down the streets and I see the poor, I get to ignore them. Well, see, if they would just go get a job, they wouldn't be there. Not my problem. When I hear the neighbors across the street flipping out and you know they're cussing each other and they had this awful life and you know like the, the husband gets in the car and he, you know speeds off, if they would just make the right choices, God would bless them. Not my problem. When there's people who battle with cancer, it's harder for me to, to ignore that one, but. Not my problem. And of course, when we, when we see the news headlines, Puerto Rico, two weeks with no water. Not my problem. Here's the problem with that. As Christians, 
as followers of Jesus, every single individual and people group in this world who's oppressed, who's at the bottom, is our problem. We're not responsible for them being there, but we are responsible for caring, for paying attention, and for making a change. They are our problem. This is the inverse of Cain. When Cain says to, his, to God, am I my brother's keeper? The whole point of that statement was, yes, you are. Yes, you are. It might not be America's problem. It might not be, you know, uh, the city's problem. It might not be all these other, you know, groups. It might not be their problem. But guess what? As a Christian, as a member of the church, as followers of Jesus, who have one message that Jesus is here for all the oppressed, for all the sick, for all those at the bottom, guess what? It's now on your lap. And you have a choice. Do I choose to take back my independence? That's... No, that's not my problem. Or do I stay firmly under the authority and the call and the responsibility of Christ and I begin to embrace these things that I would rather not embrace? This is what it means to be a Christian. Trust me, there are plenty of problems going on in this room right now. And you might think, well, it's your job to take care of them. Trying. The beautiful thing is this, is it's not just my job. It's our job. And guess what? It's not just my role to take care of you. It's your role to take care of me as well. It is this. This is what it is. This is why the body is referred to as the family of God. This is what it means to be a Christian. And so we start in this room. We start here. And we acknowledge that God and through Christ, we see that God's attention is first on those who are oppressed, first on those who are lowly, first on those who are in the bottom. So we start in this room, and we allow the Spirit of God to direct our attention first to all those who are suffering in this room. Those are the ones who get our first attention. And as we learn what it is to do it here, and then we take it to our neighborhoods, and then we take it beyond, and this is what it means to be the kingdom of heaven manifesting on the earth, that the way that God desires things to operate, they're supposed to be operating here. I should not be able to, to read the passage from Luke and say, He's come, the Spirit of the Lord's upon him to, to come to the, the oppressed, to the poor, to the blind, to the sick, and it not be happening in this room. This is where it's supposed to be happening. We are the extension of Jesus on the earth. But it all comes back to that ism. It all comes back to why we like that ism. Because see, that ism, if it's true, it gives me the right to just take care of me. And I'm not responsible for you. Because if that ism is true, and I'm responsible for me and you're responsible for you, then that means that when you begin to go through hard times, you're not my problem. The pastor can take care of you. This is why isms have to end. Or at least the crappy isms. <laughs> we need better isms. Would you guys stand with me?
I really appreciate you guys and the, uh, how do I put this, the long leash you guys give me <laughs> here at Grace. Um, you know, things get a little uncomfortable sometimes in our services, and we have to talk about things that just we'd rather not. My intention is never to, to just poke at us. But in my years in the church, one thing that's kind of overwhelmed me is I've realized how good we've become at Christians at ignoring everything. I realized how many sermons that, that I would hear, that I would preach, that, that other staff would preach, and that truly didn't matter at all to me. And so sometimes the most effective way for us is just to, to have this smack us in the face a little bit. And so this morning was uncomfortable. And it's uncomfortable for this reason. It's because this is all we've ever known. All you've ever known is take care of yourself, be responsible, make the right choices, and God will take care of you. All you've ever known is I'm responsible for me and my family, and I'm responsible for taking care of that. They're responsible for them. But this is not what it is to follow Christ. The reason that Jesus put that little line there, meaning to follow him daily, to, to carry your cross, to deny yourself daily, is because it's this. Every day has a challenge. Every single day, I'm wrestling with this thing. Do I stay under Christ or do I push it aside and I take back my independence? Do I use the power, the money, the relationships, the time, the giftings? Do I use what's in my hands for myself? to take care of me and my family or do I offer these things to the king? Because I don't know if I can take care of me and my family if I give everything. I don't know what he's going to call me to do. I don't know if I can do that. And that is the rub for us. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning and this, this is hard, hard stuff for us. But Spirit of God, we thank you for grace this morning. I thank you, Lord, that we are a church who truly, truly desires to follow Jesus. We want to be followers of Jesus, the Christ, the one and the only. We want to follow in his footsteps. And Holy Spirit, we ask that you would allow the word of God to continue to work on us and to prepare us and to just to wear us down, even if that's what we need. We ask that we would have the strength and the grace to obey you, to give up our independence to be reliant on you, to be reliant on each other, to allow other people to rely on us. We ask that we would be willing to let other people's problems be our problems. In Jesus' name.